The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora my name is Toby Manhai. This is Gone by Lunchtime, but not as you know it. It's a Gone by Lunchtime special. Um, the debate that we ran at the spin-off, which we called the spin-off great debate last week, last Wednesday evening at Generator Grid AKL with the help of Facebook. This is the audio from the debate. If you've seen it already or you really don't care, my advice is just to delete this. Don't listen any further. No my hide my. Good evening and welcome to the historic first ever spin-off great election debate. My name is Toby Manhire and we're coming to you from Generator Grid AKL in Auckland and an audience chock full of debate hungry human beings. For the last 4 days we've been collecting questions on Facebooks to put to our guests. Don't stop now. Leave them down there in the com- comments field, your comments, your questions and we will lob them in a friendly fashion towards our guests. Uh, in true MMP style, we've assembled a coalition of questioners this evening, and I'm thrilled to be coalescing with Leonie Hayden and with Simon Wilson, true stars of the spin-off. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here at Generator Grid AKL in the Wynyard Quarter Innovation Precinct. It's brand new, and it's New Zealand's first purpose-built co-working space. If that sounds tempting, the team here can show you around, drop in your business card tonight, and go into an, to win to a draw to win. of sweet generator credit. We sat down a few weeks ago and drew up a list of the candidates from the main parties basically that we most wanted to have round to our place, that we most wanted in our debate. And by some miracle, they all came back and said yes. This is a star-studded lineup full of talent and dynamism and wit, and we also have David Seymour. I knew that David would be the only one who would, who would be cool with that joke. He's a, he's a great friend of the spin-off. He's a big spin-off Easter. We love him dearly. There have been a lot of debates in the last few days. Very, very many debates. But this debate is different. This debate is the debate that will definitely decide the election on September 23. <laughs> How are we going to run it? What we're going to do is we're going to try and sort of replicate the approach of New Zealand's electoral system. So what we'll do is we'll ask some questions of the National Party candidate, then we'll ask some questions of the Labour Party candidate, and then the New Zealand First candidate will decide who wins. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was my idea, but it's been overruled. Um, and instead, we're going to involve everyone. We'll start with a very swift statement from each of the candidates, and then Leonie and Simon and I will hurl questions at them. In putting these question lines together, we've drawn on data from Policy, which is the spin-off's incredible policy comparison tool, 
which lets you compare the pledges of the parties. Have a look at that at policy.thespinoff.co.nz. We will also draw on questions, as mentioned, from Facebook. Keep on leaving them. And crucially, it's just worth saying that there's a lot of us here tonight. It's a very crowded stage, so if you can keep your questions, uh, answers short and questions, <laughs> uh, that'd be, be grand. First, uh, to introduce that star-studded panel, we have Paula Bennett. Paula is not only the deputy leader of the National Party, but also does New Zealand's very finest impression of Tom Sainsbury doing an impression of Paula Bennett. Welcome, Paula. We have Marama Davidson. Marama has quickly established herself as a crucial figure in the Green Party, despite not yet being in Parliament for two years. Mind you, given the pace at which Green MPs are retiring, Two years is pretty experienced. Fair enough. Fair enough. We Thank have you. Kelvin Davis. <laughs> Kelvin Davis is, of course, deputy leader of the beleaguered Labour Party. Oh, sorry, that's just a that's an auto thing when I write down <laughs> Labour Party. Not anymore. Uh, Kelvin is the relentlessly pugilistic to Jacinda's relentlessly positive. He is the grim to her grin, the silver fox to her grey lin. Well, Welcome, Kelvin. <laughs> We have Marama Fox. If you're on this panel here, you have a 28.5% chance of being called Marama. It's a little bit of data journalism for you there. A few facts about Marama Fox. She was recently described by one leading media outlet as New Zealand's most scucks MP. Her husband is a sheep shearer. And she recently staged a ruthless but bloodless coup, leaping above her co-leader, Te Ururoa, to number one on the party list. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Marama. We have Shane Jones. Shane Jones could, at this very moment, be swimming up to a bar in a five-star Pacific resort, talking yeah. fishing and diplomacy. He could be, but he decided instead to reignite the flame of democracy that <laughs> flickered yet inside him. He is New Zealand's first candidate for Whangarei, eighth on their party list. The other night, his uh, boss, Winston Peters, instructed him not to swear in a debate. We <laughs> urge you to swear for us tonight. Welcome, Shane. <laughs> Speaking of swearing, we have Gareth Morgan. <laughs> Gareth Morgan is the leader of the Opportunities Party. He is a policy guy. He is not at all a personality guy, but he's also a bit of a pragmatist, so he's sometimes a policy nullity guy. Welcome, <laughs> Gareth. We have close friend of the spin-off, David Seymour. <laughs> David is not only the MP for Epsom, but he's also the leader of the ACT Party, or to give it its full name, the Association of Consumers and Taxpayers. The reason it's uh, the Association of Consumers and Taxpayers as separate categories <laughs> is because some of the wealthiest supporters of ACT are indeed consumers, but don't pay any tax. tax. <laughs> Welcome, David. Hey! Hey! hey. Um, so, to kick off, we'd like to invite each of you to give your 30-second elevator pitch to an undecided first-time voter. Why vote for you and your party? If you hit 30 seconds, we're going to interrupt you with a gong. Can we have a sound check on the gong? Don on the gong. Yeah. Round of applause for Don on the gong. Yeah. We're doing this in alphabetical order. First up, Paula Bennett, 30 seconds to an undecided first-time voter. 
Right, so I'm Paula from the National Party. We've had nine years and in that time we've seen really strong economic growth. That means that we can see the country growing, we can see people staying here, more people wanting to live here. We've also helped 30,000 first home buyers through our home starts, uh, through our KiwiSaver and through our welcome home loans and they're making a big difference. We've got huge developments like in my own electorate, Hobsonville Point, where we have 20% at least that's in the affordable homes category and goes for access homes. This is where wages are increasing and there's better job opportunities. Thank you very much, Paula. Thank you. <laughs> 30 seconds is hard. Before we, before we go on, Paula, can I ask you one question? Yeah. Um, this week, you apologised for getting something wrong. You said some people had fewer human rights than others, you made a mistake, and you did the decent thing, and you apologised, and good on you. Also this week, Stephen Joyce said there was an $11 billion hole in Labor's fiscal numbers. That was a mistake but he refuses to do as you did and apologise. Should he resign now or after the election? <laughs> I don't think he should resign at all. You don't think he made a mistake? No, I don't. I you... think that there, as a whole we're hearing changing stories from the Labour Party oh. and um, I think that's where it sits. OK, thank you. Um, we're going to keep it moving. Next up, uh, Kelvin Davis. Oh, no, it's Marama, isn't it? Marama, beg your pardon. You're Marama, right? OK, yeah. <laughs> Very nice to have you here. Um, Marama, give us 30 seconds. First time voter, undecided. Go. We know that New Zealanders really want to solve poverty, end poverty and solve inequality and the Green Party will need to be strong in the next progressive government because we are truly committed to doing that. We are the party that truly has a plan for making sure our rivers are healthy and we are the party that has a plan for actual climate action to make sure that New Zealand is doing its bit and is not just spinning words out there in the middle of a televised TV debate. We are not just saying we've got a target all of a sudden. We will end poverty. Thank you, Marama. <laughs> Question to you. What did Metiria Ture do wrong? Um, threaten the establishment and cause people to actually face the truth about poverty. Why then isn't she still, why then isn't she still the co-leader of the party? I support her decision. No other political figure has been harassed or her family harassed the way that Metiria was, but the kaupapa of ending poverty is bigger than just one person in the Green Party and we will continue with that important kaupapa for us and Metiria, um, her sacrifice has made us even more united in doing that. Thank you, Marama. <laughs> Kelvin, Kelvin Davis, 30 seconds. Undecided voter, first-time voter. Well, the Labour Party wants a better, fairer New Zealand for everybody. Uh, we want better housing, we want better education, we want better health, we want a better environment. Uh, we want better rivers, uh, rivers that we can all uh, swim in. We also want to lift children out of poverty. And uh, Jacinda Ardern made the statement that we're not going to uh, judge the, uh, how well our budgets are by surpluses and deficits, but by how many children we actually do lift out of poverty the, government, uh, the country has actually drifted for the last nine years, and our biggest risk is the sound of a gong. Is the sound of a gong. <laughs> um, can I ask you, Calvin? Last week, uh, you explained very helpfully that a tax working group under a Labour government would come back with its recommendations, and those recommendations would be put to the country in the next election. That seems like a really sensible idea. Um, is that what's going to happen? No, no, I got that wrong. And uh, Jacinda Ardern has uh, reserved the right to uh, 
uh, to make decisions in the best interests of the country. So yeah, I, I just did that message mistake. not get through because there was a captain's call, right? Did that did the memo just get stuck? Well, I, I got it wrong. It's like you know, I, I'm going to make mistakes. I've only been in the job for five minutes, so you know, I'll make more mistakes, no doubt. But uh, the thing in politics is, you just get back on the horse and go for it. Madame Fox. Uh, yeah, I think seconds. Calvin made the mistake of leaving his phone on. That was his. <laughs> so, <laughs> under the rules of Parliament, All that's good. his shout. <laughs> All right. Uh, kia ora, everybody. Uh, the Māori Party believe in a country where kaupapa Māori values are uh, lifted up and held as an opportunity for all New Zealanders to come together. Not separatism, but unifying. Uh, the Māori Party believes that we don't want to leave groups of people behind as we become prosperous in this country. Those people are burdened under poverty and homelessness. They're majority Māori, Pacific Fano in our country. And the only party that you can count on that will have them at the heart of everything they do is the Māori Party. Good timing, good timing. Marama Fox, since 2008, the Māori Party has steadily dropped in support. The, line is, the line is going down. On current polling, you'd, yes. get, you'd get one MP at best. What's, what is going so wrong in the Māori Party? Uh, I don't think anything's going so wrong in the Māori Party. I think what happened is that we got this rise of Jacinda mania, and uh, so Māori people who are very strategic voters in the Māori electorates think that they can change the government by sending their vote back to the mothership. However, if you scratch the surface of the mothership, I've not heard yet that they're going to commit to Te Reo Māori. I've not heard any Māori policies from Jacinda. And if it comes down to a decision between what's right for Māori or what's popular for the popular vote, they will chuck Māori under the bus every day of the week. Well, it's true. For sure and Seabed, okay. uh, broke up cool, the rail, cool. broke up mighty affairs and mainstreamed all systems, yeah. took we'll away... Get into that. We'll get into oh. that a little bit more, we'll get, we'll give, and we'll give you a chance to respond to that, Calvin, as, as in, the, in the next section. Carry on uh, we've got to move on to Calvin. Shane Jones. Carry on. Shane Jones, back in New Zealand politics. 30 seconds, first-time voter, undecided voter. Kia ora, folks. New Zealand first. Whether it's the um, millennial souffle or the jaded, tired bill and the departing National Party, we will be in the middle. No qualms about standing up for too many immigrants coming into the country, a patriotic party, and this is a great audience, a far different audience from my earthy Wangareites, hello Uber, hello Uber liberal metropolitan audience. No gong. Um, what a waste of three seconds or whatever. Um, shame. Eighth, eighth, eighth on the list. That's a bit of a kick in the guts, isn't it? I mean, you must have been pretty pissed off when you saw that. Um, yeah, well, eight means waru, and in Māori it means to shear. So I'm, I am out there trying to shear the, the wool off other parties. But hey, you come back from long service on your behalf as taxpayers <laughs> in the Pacific on, Islands, chasing pelagic fish, climbing Mount Everest in Whangarei with a pair of jandals, dislodging the National Party of that have unwilling, uh, have uh, Gareth Morgan. unfitting fashion. <laughs> Gareth Morgan. Held the party. Gave you the um, golden handshake and sent you to the islands. 30, 30 seconds, the brand spanking new Opportunities Party. Why should an undecided first-time voter give them OK, so I am a policy wonker, absolutely, and proud of it. So I actually agree with the objectives of everybody sitting here. That's not the issue. 
The issue is the policies that actually deliver on the objectives. And what we've seen since 1984 um, under Labor and National is we've seen the economy trucking along on and off, on and off, and trucking along. But what we've also seen with that is social, uh, social dysfunction and environmental degradation on quite a scale. I want to see all three going um, forward, and we're going to do that. And our flagship policy will be lead that charge. Thank you very much, Gareth. Gareth Morgan, sometimes when I watch you, I get the impression that you think people are mostly idiots. <laughs> Do you think people are mostly idiots? Well, <laughs> when I see 20% of the electorate move because Labour puts a smiley face on, um, I do ask the question. And I put, that to an audience, I put that to an audience last night in Hamilton, and I said, I don't think they're stupid. And the audience yelled back at me, yes, they are. <laughs> so, so you've changed your view now. You do think that they're idiots. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a grade, isn't it? But there's, a, there's opinions and there's informed opinions, and I'm only interested in the informed one right. okay. on any issue. OK. David Seymour, 30 seconds. Undecided voter, first-time voter. Well, one Go. of the most critical things is that with me being well ahead in the Epsom race, every party vote for ACT counts. And not everyone on this stage can say that. Why would you give your party vote for ACT? Well, this, part, this election is turning into a drag race between Labour and National fuelled by taxpayer money. We need some fresh new ideas to fundamentally fix our housing market. Labour nor National have done that for 18 years now. We've got a plan to pay good teachers more and pay the best ones a lot more. But we've also walked the talk. I turned down being a minister in the John Key government in order to have my independence and put a critical issue Thank you, David. and Seymour. euthanasia on the, on the ballot when no one else would touch it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you. David, Winston Peters, Shane's boss, has called you a chihuahua. <laughs> which is very nice. I mean, it seems like, that seems like nice, but he's wrong, isn't he? He's wrong. What you are is a poodle. You are the poodle of the national government, is that correct? Well, if you look at what one MP is being able to achieve, uh, setting up partnership schools that are changing kids' lives for the better, uh, putting the assisted dying issue on the agenda where no one else would touch it and the leader of the national party is opposed to it, uh, keeping these guys out and a number of other wins. You know, we got an email from Uber, actually every Uber customer did, uh, saying that ACTS kept them in New Zealand when the National Party uh, would have actually legislated them out of town. So if that's a poodle, it's a pretty damn effective poodle, I have to say. Thank you, David. Thank you, everyone. Excellent answers. We clearly picked the right people. Leonie, I'm going to chuck it over to you now. Thank you, Toby. I do have some questions. That's good. Um, so, of course, I'm very um, excited to announce that six of our um, seven guests tonight have Māori Whakapapa, um, including David Seymour. Both of you who have read his book will know this. Um, <laughs> no Ngāpui? Ngāpui? I, 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 I tell you what, um, up in Ngāpui, we have much better jokes. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh sassy. <laughs> uh, so we've got David from Ngāpui. Um, Gareth, where are your ancestors from? Sorry? Welsh. Welsh. Yeah. My sister was born in Wales, I was born here, so. Aye. Kia ora, kia ora. Um, Shane, Nohia Aye. The Dalmatian Māori from the Mountain Mall Beach. Oh, nice. Kia ora, kia ora. Marama Fox, Nohia Kwea. Uh, no Ngāzi, purau no Ngāzi, kahungunu, and I think there's a bit of Ngāpuhi in us as well, which is not to say that, you know, in this coming election you could have one, two, three, and honi, four Ngāpuhi leaders sitting on the front benches <laughs> of the parliament. <laughs> 
just as it should be. Uh, Calvin, more here, Queen. Uh, ngā puhi, Ngāti Manu Te Hapu, but I've also got links to Kahunungu, Raukawa, Ngaitai. Right, kia ora, Padma. No, Ngā Puhi, Te Rarawa, me Ngāti Parau Hoki. Kia ora, and Paula. Uh, tainui. And I also really do call myself also an urban Māori, because I think that um, I grew up in, in, well, I actually grew up in a small town in, in Taupo, but I... I feel like um, it's an association of feeling slightly disconnected aye, at times aye. as well. That's and that a lot of Māori feel like aye. that actually, and yep. that, um, there's an association there as well. So, I mean, in that case, this next topic that I want to talk about is something that should be very meaningful um, to us all, and Gareth, of course, has been very pro-treaty, very pro-tereo. But um, at this point, um, our language, te reo Māori, has been in a steady decline for the last couple of years, um, which means slowly but surely that's a very re real danger of it dying. Um, so presumably, you know, you will want to do the absolute most to ensure that it survives. And I'd like to know um, if um, our guests think that their party policies can actually save a dying language. And I'm going to start with um, Madame Fox. Obviously, you guys have got the most comprehensive policies around te reo. Is it enough to save it? Um, te reo Māori, and this month being Mahuru Māori, uh, means we need to speak it in the home. If we don't speak it in the home, then the only place for it is where? In the schoolyard. Uh, we have Te Mātāwai, which has given a, a, a threat of responsibility to the government to ensure that government departments and schools uh, respect and keep up Te Reo Māori and stop it from dying. Right. Uh, that's being passed. And we also have the Mātāwai back in uh, the community with iwi leaders, hapu, engaging and revitalising our reo. Right, Last week it. I went to Ngāti Kahungunu's Reo Symposium Dom. and went to their Reo Awards. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you make... These are the things that we are doing. Right, kia ora, kia ora. Um, so you're looking to make Te Reo Māori and Māori History core curriculum. Absolutely. Um, Calvin, you guys have the most Māori MPs, but Labour's opted for making Te Reo available in every school rather Nobody than is. making it core curriculum. Is that enough? No. No, no, obviously it's not enough. And one of the things about the Treaty of Waitangi one is that we have a Māori were granted all the rights of British subjects, which should be the right to be able to speak your language wherever and whenever. But one of the problems is, is it's largely a ceremonial language now. We actually need to be able to conduct our business in te reo Māori to make it relevant in day-to-day -day, uh, context. Mm. So what we need to be able to do is encourage... Uh, uh, businesses to be able to, um, where, where Māori go in and go into a business, be able to, you know, go up to a counter and be able to conduct te reo in uh, our business According in te reo. So that's one of the one of the issues. Also, if we made te reo, if we made te reo compulsory uh, tomorrow in schools, it would probably fail because we don't yet have the resources, not people resources, oh, no vision. or or the um, no or the uh, educational resources. No, but you're going back on Labour. You're going back on your word. No, no. Labour so, said so, that they so would make it compulsory. So we need to actually make it uh, aspirational in years to come. That will be compulsory. Right, kia ora. Go, David, David, give your thoughts on anything Māori under the Pākehā Labour Party. You can build a beautiful language or a culture through compulsion. We've got to remember. Oh, let, me, let me correct you on that. We've got to remember that we lost Te Reo through compulsion in schools. I don't think compulsion no. is the way back. Oh if you visit, to Kapu, no, if you visit to Kapu Fetu, a partnership school, no, no. Kurahorua, that I'm responsible for... So can you explain what are, you mean by we lost Te Reo through school. compulsion in schools? There are zones of that school where actually it's Te Reo only, and that's choice. 
People have a choice to go to schools like that. That's how we rebuild uh, language, not by state coercion, which actually, if anything, is going to make it less popular as it has in other countries well, where they've tried to make schools it language state compulsory. State coercion not to speak it. Yep, and I think by we need law, to, for 100 absolutely, years. Absolutely, and we need to learn from that lesson, Marama, because state what, coercion compulsion damages... Compulsion for English language? Yep. Oh, look, we all speak look, English. Actually, the word Taringa means here, and I'm yep. getting a sore ear from this one over here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just want to ask, so, um, uh, Paula Bennett, so you guys have announced your second language uh, policy basically chucks Māori uh, in with a group of other non-official languages. Um, the Māori Language Act says that te reo Māori is a taonga under te tiriti or waitangi, but, you know, sort of making it one of many languages like French and Spanish or Mandarin doesn't feel particularly special. What's the incentive for kids to learn te reo over those other languages? How do they know that that's part of their particular culture and heritage, if that's the case? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, so we have made that second language, uh, and we've said it's part of our policy, and putting significant funds into actually making that happen. And I hope that some schools, through their parents demanding it, do see um, te reo as part of that, because I do agree that we're losing the language. I feel like I'm one that lost the language. And so, um, as a consequence of that, but I do agree with it being choice, and I do agree with it being kind of parent-led, and that's how our schools do it. But actually having the funding there to train those teachers so that they can go in and deliver it, I think, is really important. I suppose that's a difference with our policy is we've actually funded it as well and are funding those teachers to be able to do it. Is anyone else funding more teachers? So you guys have got policies in place. New Zealand first, Shane, are you going to be looking at... Starting with teachers I, I and then moving on to David school. David came from Ngāpuhi. I want to ring Hone Hallow with his mother, Titipai. Come and educate the nephew. <laughs> <laughs> my, my view on the party's view is that unless kōhanga reo and under five education initiatives are strengthened, I have very grave <laughs> concerns for our language. I made my kids talk it. I grew up at a time where our grandmother taught us. But I think... Iwi themselves, with all these settlements, need to get off their nonos and start funding the revitalisation of the language via kohanga <laughs> with the Crown. Don't just leave it to central government. Can I ask, Shane, are you on the Māori electoral role or are you on the general Ah, yes, role? I'm on the Taitokero role. I have yet oh, to decide who I might vote for, oh. Cal. <laughs> <laughs> so, Give it to Hone. Then tell me, um, New Zealand First won a binding referendum on our Māori seats after this election. Have you as a party decided who should be allowed to vote in that referendum? A bit no, of Winston's made his statement, part. and what I liked about the statement, it was a wake-up call to us as Māoris, because the worst turnout across New Zealand are our own people in the Māori seats. If we want those seats, stand up and vote and fight for them. And a referendum's going to be a good opportunity to show if we really oh care, because the turnout is abysmal. <laughs> Um, Gareth Morgan, you uh, oppose any kind of referendum. Why do you oppose that? If, if Māori are already voting with their feet, then why shouldn't we stop and take measures? Well, I think that? until we honour the treaty, we have to just keep the Māori seats. It's as simple as that. And, you know, we, to honour the treaty, we need a constitution, um, a written constitution. Otherwise, you'll continue to have what we saw today from the National Party. Um, as people, as, as um, politicians trying to remove... Um, individuals' constitutional rights, and I find that quite obscene. My question of um, Shang, really, um, is do you oppose the Treaty of Waitangi like your boss does? <laughs> well, you're sitting perilously close to a Ngāpui son of the treaty to ask that foolish question, buddy. 
Well, then why are you in the party? Is that a yes or a no? No, no. Winston, you know, unlike you, Winston and I, for a thousand years, are the inheritors of the treaty legacy. That wasn't the question. No. Hey, that's the answer you're going to get from an Apu Inuitonu person. Well, then why do you want to get rid of it? Come on, move along. I'm getting both... Both my cuttings are getting sore now. This is a contradiction in New Zealand first. Yeah, No, it's not a contradiction. It's a the Treaty of Waitangi has for a long time been in our manifesto as a founding document. That so is an inescapable fact. No, he's not opposed to it. What he's opposed to is handing over the water to Ngaitau and Tainui and making them the water lords, and I'm deeply opposed to that as well. What about your own rivers? And Ngāpui, when it's Madame your turn to see no, no, you've had enough. So you just listen to the question. Madam, do something You're unusual. Late. Listen to the speaker. Madam Davidson, well, you just contradict uh, yourself every time you speak. Should we be putting more resources into Māori representation and local council? Yeah, I'm just going to wait for the squabble. <laughs> <laughs> just got to talk over it. The Green Party are incredibly proud of our commitment to ensuring that all schools have universal and core te reo Māori as a subject in school. This is our beautiful language that New Zealanders have a right to, all of us, and we're really proud to have put that on the election table. My goodness, we've got news articles, blogs from non-Māori who are saying it's way past time. We put our commitment to universal te reo in schools in February next week. Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori, we will be announcing our Universal uh, Te Reo in Schools plan, so everybody keep an eye out, because until you make the commitment, and that is a Crown responsibility, and David, Te Reo was beaten by the, the Crown, beat Te Reo out of my grandmother in schools. Now, we are not planning on beating children up to learn Te Reo, not at all. So you cannot compare what happened in losing our reo with putting it back into schools. And in countries overseas, it has made a difference to put native languages into the schools. It might take five, 10 years, but until we commit to it, then we have the teaching plan, the resources plan, and get our schools up to scratch. Kilda, Kilda. <laughs> I'm going to throw over to um, Simon. Thank you, Leonie. Tēnā koutou. I'm going to ask you about transport. And I've got some questions here <laughs> where I'd like a show of hands. It is a beautiful 10-minute waterfront walk to our venue tonight. Uh, from the downtown hub for trains, buses and ferries, there's a CityLink bus that goes from the end of the street every few minutes. Did any of you walk, ride a bike or take public transport to get here tonight? Marama Fox, thank you. Thank you. In 10 years' time, who would like to have the centre of Auckland City as car-free? How many? 10 years. Yep. Marama Fox and Marama Davidson. <coughs> In 10 years' time, who thinks we will have regional rail lines re-established throughout the Upper North Island? Oh, sooner. Green Party, the Labour Party, and the Māori Party, and New Zealand First. Thank you. And who Sounds thinks like a coalition. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all four of you. Just stop slagging him a little bit, then we'll be all right. <laughs> who thinks that it's in ten years... It's a door wide open, I try. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't listened to Mārama for three years. I'm not going to start listening. No, I see. Now. Right. This coalition's going to really work. I can see that. Uh, Who thinks that in ten years' time it will be safer to ride in a driverless car than with a human driver? 
Gareth does. Gareth does. Yes. Martin Fox does. Ten years. Yeah. Paula Bennett, we're I've getting seen there. I don't know about David Seymour. Don't know about ten years, but I'm you think about driverless, yeah. driverless politicians. Yeah. Close. We're getting there. So really, the point is that most of you. I've seen some Am I right? Politicians. All of you think that within a few years, 10, 15 years, yeah. driverless cars will actually be safer than human-driven cars. Oh, look, I went past one, a horrific crash on the road. We go up and down as politicians on those roads. It was horrific. I didn't dare look at what was um, turned upside down in two trucks, stuff all over the road. If we can make our roads so safer by having driverless right. cars and better roads, that'd so, be great. Paula, I want to ask yeah. you a question that's the wrong way around from what it's usually asked. What's wrong with Labour's transport policy? Oh God, what's wrong with Labour's transport policy? Um, unrealistic, no. I reckon. Um, unrealistic in timing and its priorities. But what um, do you mean particularly? Well, I just don't think that they can accomplish what they want to um, on the... Is it the trains or the trams or the, whatever they're trying to do to the it's airport at the moment? Light rail to Mount Ross um, so I don't think that that stuff is all realistic as far as the, um, they'd have to purchase land, they'd have to go into the Public Works Act. Um, so I just think they're being a bit unrealistic so, in some so of the So what you're saying is that it's an un they've got a, a more of a focus than you on, on rail and light rail in particular, but the only thing that's wrong about it is that they, they want to push it up and do it faster than you do. Oh, is some of it... Although we've got some other priorities that they would take away as well, so that might be the um, the Penlink Road or the um, Eastern Motorway, um, the building of that that we're looking at. So we have got different priorities for the city um, as far as how we want to move people around and the speed that we can do it. Calvin, but I do think that transport's important to every party and how we move people around this great city. Absolutely. Calvin, what's wrong with National's transport policy? Uh, aside from everything... Uh, look, the, Auckland's got a uh, handbrake on productivity and it's called gridlock. You know, we're going to have uh, a light rail to Mount Roscoe within four years. We want to have light rail to the airport within 10 and out to West Auckland. You know, uh, there's a problem with the Norwestern motorway and that it's just been finished and these guys forgot to put busways uh, you know, down, down the side. That was a, a terrible oversight. Um, you know, we've got to get uh, Auckland out of their cars, <coughs> Auckland is out of their cars and into public transport. That's the only way we can get Auckland and New Zealand moving. If Auckland's going to be stuck in gridlock, then the whole country's going to suffer. Gareth, I've led do... by example by walking or taking public <coughs> transport. Gareth, are you... <laughs> Gareth, are you attracted to the Labour analysis or do you think they don't understand it either? No, well, I think the key to transport is to make sure that you've got a level playing field when you actually do the evaluation of the different options. A level playing field for what? Well, just you do a full cost-benefit of each type. I mean, I, I just what I see here is politicians grabbing onto a favourite and I don't see the analysis behind it that actually makes it robust in terms of cost-benefit versus alternatives. And you're doing this in a very dynamic world, you know, in terms of how transport is changing away from the internal combustion engine to, you know, to electric any, right. anyway. So these big plans, man, they're high risk, so they, they do deserve to be subject to pretty rigorous um, competitive evaluation. Marama Davidson, transport is a cornerstone policy for the Green sure. Party. Are you satisfied with the Labour approach? Oh, I'm pleased to see Labour picking up on a lot of our green policies. We're pleased to say that we can work together, including on transport, but it's actually national's policies that we need to critique for 
one kilometre of National's motorway, of a new motorway, we can instead, and this is our policy, ensure that everyone under the age of 19 can travel on public transport any time of the day, that a person with a disability can travel on public transport for free, sorry, for free with children and people with a disability for free any time of the day, and students and apprentices can have free public transport off-peak times for less than one kilometre of a new National Party motorway, we can actually put a transport plan in place that will work for families. That also ends up being solutions for inequality, uh, making sure that people have more in their pockets, having to spend less on transport. And it's also urgent. It is urgent. Transport policies are urgent because climate change is urgent and transport and car emissions are a big, massive part of addressing We're climate change. So I should get to defend yeah. our policies. No, I'm, I'm going so, okay. for, um, so for Paula, all of Paula, that... Before you, before you start, we are going to get to climate change, but before you start, while you're defending your policies, could you answer this question? Sure. Why the National Government will not commit to light rail to the Auckland Airport? Okay. So one thing for sure is that actually, whether we like it or not, we also need roads in this country. So now we need roads that we can drive on, that those electric vehicles, that those driverless cars you, that are coming Paula, our way, Paula, no, you, and they have to be in see, a standard. Do you see a party here that wants to tear yeah. up the roads? Well, I've got, certainly got people that are telling us we don't need to spend what we are on our motorways, and we certainly have those that are saying that they would not commit to the same... Well, to. that's fine, but I'm just saying that actually the reality is that those buses travel on roads. We, I stand by the commitment that we make to them, and they are the way that most people... People get around. They don't live the simple lives that everyone would like yeah. them to the live. Buses. They pick up kids from sports, okay. they actually do okay. their shopping, and yeah, actually and every bit of transport plans are not going to go. Paula, you must know the argument about buses. The buses. Sure. The we're the we're ones talking... that have spent $2 billion on public talking... transport more than any other government in any time in history. So it's about motorways. And motorways, as Calvin has just pointed out, the last motorway that the National Government built in Auckland forgot to put the bus has the bus lane through to Teata too, where we've taken over the land there as well, and now we're building the whole bus hub there that is going to fast track it and have made a financial commitment that we have got the money in the budget for to actually fund the rest of it. Shane, I want to turn to you. The proposal to run a four-lane highway all the way from Auckland to Whangarei, is that being proposed for economic reasons or to help people go on holiday? You know, most of your debate has centred on roading congestion in metropolitan New Zealand. Don't for a moment think that everyone needs to live in Auckland. That's the first thing. The second thing, most of the people in Whangarei, really what they are talking about, is it possible to revitalise the railway, to remove heavy freight movements off the roads and to open up from the main trunk uh, via a spur line to Marsden Point. That's what I mostly hear. One thing that irks the people of the north Name me any other area that's got a toll on the main drag other than the land uh, road going up north. So, yes, there are picks and shovels and pine trees uh, this side of Walkworth, but there's not a lot of confidence that these promises are going to come to pass beyond uh, the Walkworth so I was no, today. no, 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 you've had your chance, Paula. No, you've had your chance. They would be deeply offended at hearing it being called a holiday highway. Mm -hmm. So I'll just speak up for the people that are in Whangarei right now. Marama Fox. Your proposal for Iwi Rail, if Iwi Rail could be economically viable, it wouldn't have closed in the first... The, the regional rail wouldn't have closed in the first place. No, we're talking about Iwi Rail. Those, rail those railway lines have been built 
on uh, land that was confiscated from Māori under the Public Works Act. We're talking about connecting people who live in isolation to the main trunk line. We're talking about being able to get a product to market. We've got trees up on the East Coast that cost $3 million to cut down and get out of there, but they're only going to get $3 million for those trees. If we don't connect the people who live in isolation to the main trunk line, we cannot improve productivity. Infrastructure is key, and we have completely costed out the iwi rail from Gisborne back to Napier and up around the coast back to Tauranga, and it has a strong business case, and the businesses of East Coast have committed to it because they need it. Otherwise, they cannot be productive in this nation that has forgotten about them. Thank you. I'm going to move on to climate... Go, you. I am going to move on to climate change. Our Paris target is the greenhouse gas emissions should, have, should be dropped to drop to less than... Two, sorry, should be an 11% drop on our 1990 levels by 2030. But currently we have a net plus 63% increase over 1990. The big drivers in increased emissions in New Zealand in ascending order are fluorinated gases in industry and homes, agricultural fertiliser, farting cows, chemical industry and food processing, and the number one is road transport. Calvin, <laughs> Calvin, why will the Labour Party not commit to leaving our remaining fossil fuels in the ground? Uh, look, Jacinda Ardern has said that uh, climate change is her generation's <coughs> nuclear-free moment, and I entirely agree with her. Uh, we're committing to... Uh, we want all... Uh, an ETS where all sectors, all emitters and all gases are going to be included. Um, in terms of your question around... What was it, sorry, about uh, keeping fossil fuels... Mining and, and fuels drilling the off the east coast. Well, you know, we still, we still need to... Uh, um, you know, we still need minerals for certain things. We we still so you know how can we actually uh, commit to to uh, removing uh, those you know stopping so the mining of no. that. That's yeah. a no. <laughs> Paula, well, I mean, wait, your member on, in the east coast and Ikarorafti <coughs> is around telling people that Labour will commit to stopping mining. So you're telling me she's lying? Uh, you're and drilling for oil. Look. Uh, I was the, I was the uh, Member of Parliament that uh, surveyed the whole of Taitukro that said that 86% of Taitukro uh, didn't want deep sea oil drilling. And when, three months after I put that uh, information to Statoil, they disappeared from Taitukro. So we've got a commitment to uh, making sure that, uh, that our environment is kept safe. That's, that's the big thing. And, and good on Mecca, she's a local MP. She's doing great stuff. She's going to win the electorate again quite significantly, quite comfortably. <laughs> I, I want to come back to you, Paula. Yeah, but then Labour is but just going you, to ignore Mara, all of Māori and do whatever they want thank because that's the Labour Party. Uh, we actually, as it happens, we are on target for a 5% reduction in 1990 emissions levels by 2020. And the reason we're able to do that is that we've bought credits from Russia and the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. we, have, we are the seventh worst emitter in the OECD. We're not a fast follower. We're doing as little as possible, aren't we? Yeah, I think we can do better, and that's why we've got the Productivity Commission doing their work on it. I've got forestry, I've got adapt adaptation groups, I've got everyone that's kind of doing the work that they're doing. We've set clear targets as to what we want to achieve to the point where we've signed New Zealand up to the Paris Agreement and done a, an international treaty on it. It's going to mean uh, we're going to have to find 220 million tonnes of emissions that we're going to have to reduce by 2030. Um, that is significant. Anyone that says that we're not ambitious in our target 
is dreaming because it's going to take significant change, um, a combination of growing trees, um, more of them, so more afforestation, a combination of reducing our, um, our needs on fossil fuels, which you can see through um, electric vehicles that we're trying to bring in. I think some of that technology that's coming through, we have some of the best sustainable farmers in the world, quite frankly, they're getting better all the time. And in fact, on a farm-by-farm -farm basis, they're reducing emissions by about 1%. You can see technology and research coming through and a whole lot of others, but I can see you've got other Marama, questions. Marama, do you agree that the government has an ambitious target? Ma I'm sorry, Madam and Davidson. Of course not. I mean, that's, of course I don't agree that the government has got an ambitious enough target, and that's why we need the Green Party strong in the next progressive government, because okay. we have a target of carbon neutral Aotearoa by 2050, but not just the target. Targets are so popular these days, but we also have a plan to back it up. Gareth Morgan, you have that Ooh. same target? Yeah. Carbon neutral by 2050? Absolutely. That is, is, that, is that a difficult target for New Zealand to reach? No, but what we need is a strategy, right? And I think the electric thing is, is massive in terms of what it will do with transport. Okay, with can transport. I ask you quickly, I, I, before we yeah. finish on this, about cows. The dairy herd in New Zealand has nearly doubled yeah. since 1990. Yeah. And we are now also putting five times as much fertiliser on the land as we used to. Yeah. Who thinks, hands please, who thinks we have too many cows in New Zealand? Marama and marama. Would anybody who didn't put up their hand like to say what the level would be when we do have too many cars? Are we near the limit? No, Sorry, Kelvin. Oh. Sorry, I've got no idea how many how many cars would be too many. Paula. No, but I do think that we are on the verge of the research because of the millions we've put into that on actually getting the kind of thing that will reduce that, um, the fertilisers and the use of soil like it is and actually reduce those emissions on farms. So the farmers are getting it right? Um, I think they're doing an outstanding job. They will say they can always do better. So Fonterra have committed to their um, 10 um, demonstration farms and are then going out there and trying to get... I think what we've got is some uh, really, really good practice, but it is um, uh, there are patches that are not as good and they can well, the improve. The reality, Simon, is that forestry has been sold down the drain. Yeah. Just look at the mathematics. Under the legacy, the legacy that will be left behind by Paula and her colleagues is a gross diminution in the size of the forest lung to deal with climate change. That's a fact. Secondly, I, I get very alarmed when people think we can continue to enjoy the, uh, the quality of life we're taken for granted by simply slashing farmers. And I don't understand why you're asking that question about destroying farmers' livelihood. Marama Davidson, are you demonising farmers? It's not about destroying farmers' livelihood. We want to support, and that's why we announced on the weekend um, our package to support farmers into better land use, making sure that farmers can... Uh, make sure that farmers are farming in a way that protects our water sources, make sure that our soil doesn't get as polluted as it is. There are absolutely better ways of farming, but we need to commit to supporting our farming industry to be able to do the that. The state because, will never be better than the owners the of the farmers. Shush, I'm talking. No, and because the, Green oh, Party, oh. because the Green Party are... Uh, do have as a priority reducing carbon emissions. That's why we are committed to making sure all of our industries and our businesses can move into 
better carbon practices. No, I, I even what we, even what the Paris Agreement said with. food security was a vital part of um, the Paris Agreement and what all countries need to do. Our farmers are the best in the world, yeah, and yeah. I reckon they're getting yeah, a really yeah. hard time yeah, at the moment yeah, yeah. from a whole yeah, yeah. lot of people and really, okay, really okay, no, no, because we, I'm sorry, this is, I would love to keep talking about this, but Toby, it's Toby's turn. It's my turn. Yeah. It's my turn. Um, uh, we've got some questions uh, through the, the magic of the internet. Um, via the promising online startup Facebook, where people have, have left some questions and comments. We've got a, got a, got a, a sort of commenty, questiony thing from someone called Steve James Hoskins, who asks or says, "We need to see more politicians owning up to their mistakes. Expecting <laughs> perfection all the time is unrealistic," which is true. And we've already had a, uh, we've already discussed um, mistakes on the part of Paula and Calvin. So let's just whiz through the rest of you. Give us give us a recent <laughs> times mistake. That you've had cause to reflect on. Are we starting somewhere? Oh, we're starting with Madame D. Sorry, we'll start with Madame D. Well, you want to go, David? You go. Yeah. You go. Look, I think I've made a bit of a mistake, but you know, I've tried to do just about every issue as one person in three years, um, and I've learned from that. And, and the issue now is that you know, actors focusing on things that we can change. Education, I think we've shown we can have an impact there. Housing, number one issue, we have to have an impact there. Okay, Social liberalism, so great. we've actually narrowed our focus on doing things uh, that an act party can achieve and that's worth giving your party vote to act for in the next two weeks. Okay, nicely done, nicely turned around. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think uh, a mistake I've made is trying to be uh, an electorate MP of a large Māori electorate as well as the uh, new deputy leader of the Labour Party and, and realising that actually there's, there's a lot of work How to do trying to cover... Trying to, trying to cover the, no, the whole of it. Be the deputy and, prime minister and you've got to be up Paula, for it, man. Paula, be up for it, man. Paula and her electorate is never more than 20 minutes away from her office and her home. Right. I don't think you're up for it. My interim to the other is seven hours, and it's a hard thing. So, but just to be clear, Calvin, well, I mean, that it is. It's a huge task. But, 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 is what you're saying that you couldn't be the deputy leader of the Labour Party in government and still be just, just tai hoa. No, what I'm saying is that it's a big job being a member of parliament for a large electorate that takes seven hours to drive from one end to the other, and I just had to realise and and prioritise my time. But Paul is never 20 minutes away from her home, her electorate office, when she's in her electorate. And she obviously doesn't realise the, the difference between the uh, MP for a tiny electorate and the MP for a large Māori electorate. No, but They're I do totally understand okay, good, okay. the time it That's takes good. to be a Deputy Prime Minister. Anyone else want to volunteer a mistake? Uh, yes, Very briefly. to all the audience and oh, Google yes. viewers uh, from all around the world, I have a PhD in political classic. mistakes. <laughs> you should run. You should run. I'm not sure we have time for this. I'm sorry. But I'll tell you what, Kiwis love honesty and they love, they love the comeback kid. But I would say, come the 24th, I will not be needing to hear this raucous parrot voice on my right. But New Zealand first doesn't, I'm number eight. Your turn. 
becoming a politician, I became really aware of how public my life became, and I made the mistake of of putting that pressure on my own growing daughter when I told her off, I broke her heart and told her off for putting up a public post on Facebook where she was spilling her genuine story about her own life and I made her feel stink because I said, what if people see you and know that you're my daughter and that was a mistake and I'm sorry, darling. And just for the record, she's still an act supporter. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I like that. I like that. Well, obviously, a relation. <laughs> she is your niece, David. <laughs> I had heard there's one out there, to be fair. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Okay, all right, all right. Good, good, good. It was too easy. It was too easy. Yeah, well, of course, I, I hadn't been in. I hadn't been in Parliament or anything, so by definition, I've ne never made a political mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Good. Just to be clear, so there have been no mistakes made in the campaign so far? Everything's oh, gone particularly <laughs> 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 just... No, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that okay. almost got as much cut through as cats to go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> OK, Gareth. <laughs> Madam Fox. Um, uh, like Marama, uh, we prioritise our job mm. over top of our children, and uh, that has oh, been a mistake. God, yeah. So while I am a list MP for Ikarorafati, which is 780 kilometres long from one end to the other, and takes well over 10 hours to drive from <laughs> Wainuamata to Hicks Bay in one direction, uh, going back and forth, tell, responding... Tell me again about how easy a list MP's life is. Do you want me to finish, Calvin? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're a list MP. Well, shall I? Well, hold on, hold on. But here is the thing. I am a list MP, and I'm also the co-leader of the Māori Party, so I get called from Dunedin to Auckland to Whangarei to Kaitai yeah. yeah. so to Hicks Bay so all, all over the Why country, and else? I respond to all of them. Yeah. You just told me how hard it was for you and your little electorate now that you're the deputy <laughs> prime minister. It's I'm all about prioritising. You don't have an electorate, so you can't actually well, call well, it. Well, then, yeah. you know what? You know what? Wait on, Toby, Toby. Toby, I'm going to defend this, because we'll keep attacking, keep attacking, because what happens... Well, you are. Well, let me finish then, and I can answer your question. Well, here's the answer. Ring the bell. You're hogging it. Ring the bell. So here's... So... Here's the answer. What answer? I get rung up by Māori all over this country who have been to their electorate MP and been turned away. And oh, I respond. Oh, I yeah, and, and shall I write you a list? Mika shall I write you a Mika list? Mika will have people over who have gone to your electorate office. office. Let's get on with I don't have an electorate office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have an electorate no. office. <laughs> they ring my phone. Oh. They ring my phone. Don't it's make me get Don get his gong out. Don't even have him get his gong out if needs be. Okay, is that point finished? We're done there. We're done. We're done with mistakes. Please tell me. Let's just have one more question from from Facebook, which is from someone called Mark Osborne, who wants to know what you think is the single biggest issue facing Aotearoa New Zealand today. Um, and, and we don't want to know what you're going to do about it, we just want to know what it is, because we, we need to crack on and um, pass over to Leone. So just name it. What is the single biggest issue confronting this country today? It's not rising, and you cannot sustain prosperity unless it's on a foundation of fairness. Thank you, Gareth That's Morgan. That's the biggest issue for this Who wants to chuck, go next? Um, Housing, homelessness, and also P. P is a massive issue, in particular where I'm from, but I think also right across the 
the whole country. Okay. Thank you, Kelvin. Uh, inequality, like Gareth, all of the other issues stem from poverty and inequality. Thank you. Inequality and climate change, and they're actually connected. We've got to fix both. Paula? I think we've got a lot of challenges, and I would um, throw in there as well climate change, I think some of the environmental. I do think that these um, kids that are living in hardship, you know, I'd then argue that we're making a difference in all of those and lay out the plan, but I think all of them um, are genuine um, challenges in our country and issues and um, ones that we can, though, make a difference on. Thank you. Shane Jones? Yeah, loss of equity. Mm. Law and order and P is out to lunch where I come from. May not be an issue amongst uh, metropolitan New Zealand, but it's oh, a very it dangerous situation in the north. Okay, yeah. thank you. Dan Seymour. Oh, look, it's, it, it's housing, and it's the fact that we're building half as many homes per capita as the baby boomers built in the 70s. You want to talk about resentment of immigrants, poverty and inequality, intergenerational conflict. It all comes back to that simple fact that because of red tape and regulation from councils, underfunding of infrastructure under national and labour for the last 18 years, we simply are not building enough homes, and that is Thank the you, real crisis and a real shame for this country. True. Thank you. Leone. Kia ora. It's been very entertaining so far. <laughs> Be a bit of a buzzkill, because I would like to talk about um, law and order um, and talk about prisons a little bit, um, if we can. Can I see a show of hands from our guests who have incarcerated whānau? Yeah, relations. Um, Calvin, you've been sort of talked about as being sort of our great hope for prison reform. So I've got a question for you. What are prisons for? Uh, well, in the current state, they're there to punish. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that it isn't working. Um, New Zealand is a lot more unsafe because what we're doing is throwing more and more people into prison. There's over 10,000 now, over half of them are Māori. And if you throw somebody in prison for even a short time, chances are that they're, they're going to come back. That means when they come out the other side, that they're going to re-offend, so there's going to be more victims, and we've got to stop that. Well, the question we have to ask is, how do people have to be treated inside prison so that they go through the system and they never, ever come back again? So we have to have a, a fundamental look at the way prisons are run, but also, you know, I've been cr quite critical of corrections at times, but we've also got to remember that they just get what's handed to them on a plate by the justice system, and there's a whole heap of other things that have failed in society that um, mean that people end up uh, in prison. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work to be done, and when I'm corrections minister, the first thing I'm going to do is actually give a call to all my counterparts in the other parties and say, how are we going to work on this together? We've got to actually depoliticise the corrections system. Right. Uh, it, it's not good enough that one uh, uh, party builds more prisons and throws more people uh, in there and other people are saying, hang on, we've got to do something different. We've got to look at um, jurisdictions like Finland who have got twice the population that we have and yet they've only got a third the prison population we have. You know, they're, right. they're doing things well that we need to actually have a look at and we should yeah. do it together as a whole parliament rather than Thank one you. party. Thank you. So, now, Tommy, going back to the question of what a prison is actually for, and by that I mean what it should do, which you've just sort of answered. Um, does anyone sort of fundamentally disagree with rehabilitation as being the point of a prison? Do any of our guests actually think that punitive measures, punishing no, criminals, is more important than no, rehabilitation? Can I, can I just comment on that? I mean, I said that you know we can't just spend more money, we need new ideas. And X policy is that if you learn to read in prison, 
uh, you get a discount on your sentence. It's win-win-win. Uh, it saves money, it reduces recidivism and crime, and it orients the entire organisation. Corrections, the wonderful volunteers that go into prisons to teach literacy, and the prisoners themselves towards one objective, which is upskilling to have the skills to participate in modern society. Because right now, over half of prisoners are illiterate. That means that they yeah, end up participating like in, the, in the cash, it's a lot more in the cash economy. They, they end up participating in the cash economy, and the cash economy is the criminal economy. Now, this policy has united the Howard League, the Sensible Sentencing Trust, the Labour oh, Party, and the National Party. Now, if the people that hand out the Nobel Peace Prize are watching, you know, that's not bad, huh? <laughs> but it, it could probably go further. Is there anyone else that wants to pick up that policy? Does anyone else agree um, that that's a actually, sensible policy to reward literacy and numeracy people, in prisons? People shouldn't be learning to read in prison. They should be learning to read in schools. Well, yes, but and what if so, they get to prison and, so, and they can't read? Prisons, what do you do then? Prisons don't yeah. actually work. On the but, whole, prisons don't work. What corrections are being handed are people who instead need a job, are people who instead need mental health, health and addiction support, services that just aren't available out there, are people who instead are in there on a cannabis conviction when we do need to legalise cannabis and actually... Do you know how many people are in prison right now for possession of cannabis? Tell her. Seven. Seven. There are so, seven. Yeah. So we could and have seven other conditions and a whole lot of other things around them. So there is these seven. So this whole rhetoric that we police are running around and arresting and locking people up for cannabis possession is simply not true. Now I'm just I mean like so I kind of, I mean I hear about the literacy. I think rehabilitation in our prisons is absolutely critical. But it is the earlier we get in, the better. And that is what social investment is about. So it is knowing right. Right from our wee ones, yeah, from, right from our littlies, and we do know which children are unfortunately most likely to end up in those by prisons in years modelling. to come. How do you know that? So, because we know, by modelling you know if they've had a parent in jail, if they've actually been at the attention of child, youth and family, or Oranga Tamariki, if Wait, their own parents have had... that was my had. parents. No, I haven't finished yet, it's a long <laughs> list, and honey, I was there too. But that doesn't mean that we can't put more support into them earlier. It's not about being punitive, it is actually about backing yeah. whanau backing those sorts of program, programs that get in earlier There's and work with those children so that we turn those little right. brains on, that they can turn on, it, so they can get to school, they can learn to read and write. And Thank that you. is what is See, fundamentally the, going to make a difference to our prison population. There's more problems in, in prison, like rehabilitation programs uh, aren't actually working all that well. In fact, Corrections Annual Report says that they have re results that are statistically insignificant. So we actually have to analyse the rehabilitation programmes that aren't working and chuck them out and make sure there are programmes that are that's working. that's why we've got to reorient the incentives. I agree to with David's, mm. um, with David's Mike stance. Williams. The other thing is, is reintegration into communities uh, isn't what it should be. No, we only spend 10% really uh, of... We spend about $17 million on reintegration into communities... We spend 170 million on rehabilitation programs. Right. It's like um, having two broken legs, but only fixing one of them. So we actually right. need to invest. But there are some in fundamental issues. Maori incarceration, then That's obviously right. that reentry into but, but here's no, our no, communities. That needs well, everybody, but it needs to be whānau based. And you've both talked about kaupapa right. Maori based 
rehabilitation That's of prisons. Right. But there are, fundam Maori, but there are fundamental issues about why our prisons are full in the first place that mm. are completely mm. racist. Like, the system yeah, is racist for a start. Is. Is. But we'll just start with that one. The second one, well, it is. When it you're is, three times actually. more likely to be incarcerated because you're Māori than non-Māori for the same thing, the same then thing. that's racist. Exactly. I hate to try and break it to you. But hold on, wait on. The three strikes legislation that... that No, 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 wait on. My turn. I've waited. Three strikes legislation needs to be repealed. And the remand bill is making sure that people can't get out while they're on bail because they don't have a safe house to go to and our prisons are filling up with people who haven't even been tried yet. They're just on remand. They're waiting for the case. And that's why they're building a new prison, because the law is stuffed. We also have a Gareth, I just want to go to Gareth. I want to know what you were... I just want to say that 30% of the people who are in prison shouldn't be there. That actually um, there is no relationship in this country between crime and the number of people in prison. The number of people in prison is driven by, and remember this is the second highest rate of incarceration in the Western world after the right. US, at 210 people per 100,000 versus the OECD average of 114. And what the driver is, is not crime at all. It is the regulations around crime, like this exactly. Bail Amendment Act that Marama just talked about. It's just tracks. garbage. And so the corrections you know, department say to me, we can't correct. You know, I was in that Howard League thing of the prize giving the other day, one graduate at Rimataka, and I said, what, what the hell is this when a third of them are illiterate? And the head of the prison said to me, there are no facilities here. We've, we're, we've got volunteer teachers coming out of our ears, but we are called the Department of Corrections. We are the Department of Internment. Nothing has changed. So we, haven't, we cannot keep those teachers safe. So, you know, there's fundamental issues with our prisons. Mm. We are, you, this is the legacy of the senseless sentencing trust. <laughs> there's also issues around parole. So prisoners, prisoners will go to their parole board, they'll be told uh, you need to do course A, B and C. The prisoner will go back to corrections and say, look, before I get out my next parole board, I need to do course A, B and C. And corrections will say, sorry, not there's available. not enough places, it's not available, right. uh, they need to be transferred elsewhere. Uh, yeah, there's all these sorts of things. And that's just keeping prisoners... Who are, who are in uh, prison way too long. Right, and right. also, we'd re we're, the Greens are really clear that we'd like to see a lot more work and support for restorative justice processes, which have proved to reduce reoffending. Those are the things that work. We should be looking into those alternatives as well. And not one bit of this conversation has been about the victims, not one bit about justice the harm that they are actually... Restorative justice yeah, is absolutely about, about the victims and is about true accountability when you to restore the home. None of it is actually about... But it's not. Actually, it's not. Prisons what you're talking victims. about, and it's in actually increasingly, it is the harm that some of them, these people... You don't get in jail by bloody paying tiddlywinks in the wrong frickin' room. You oh, yes, you do. You to jail unless oh, wow. you are also a victim yourself. So these things need to be looked at from both sure. sides. And that's so why we do believe in it. But don't make it sound like we've locked up a whole lot of really good people. You have. Um, we have not, <laughs> actually. But, but do you think, looking at it in 
terms of black and white, good people and bad people is even worse. Of course it's not. But you can't just kind of, it's just kind of this rhetoric that there's all these poor people sitting there that are begging for more help. I'm just saying it's a mixture. We can actually stop more victims. Paula is absolutely correct. You know, the average person in prison has 46 convictions. Now that means that we have failed at recuperating people, but it also means that we've failed to keep New Zealanders safe. And X policy is just one way that you can solve both of those problems. Just before we move on, moderate this debate better. Our debates in Whangarei are, are light years ahead of how you guys are moderating oh, this look, debate. Okay, okay. <laughs> if you don't, we'll put you in the political hierarchy. This is the first time we've done something like this. You You've got to throw us a freaking bone here. This is the urban liberal approach. This to is debate. the urban liberal. This is the spin up shambles approach. If you, I mean, if, you were, if you could send us some notes afterwards, we'd yeah. like to. We'd like your notes. Um, I want to move on. Um, Paula, you, uh, so we've, you've identified um, gangs as being our um, biggest criminal threat in our war on drugs. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And um, proposed to let police carry out searches without a warrant in some cases. In some cases, yep. Um, and you know, in announcing this, you have now famously said that some gang members have fewer rights than others. Um, Toby said earlier that you apologised for that. I disagree. I didn't hear an apology. Yeah. I heard you apologising for putting Bill English in an awkward position. Mm. Um, so I'd like to ask you, do you think that some people have fewer right, human rights than others? No, I don't think that, people have, that some people have fewer, fewer human rights than others. Even people who have committed criminal offences? Yeah. So why did you so say that? Yeah. Because I got mixed. It. What I was, and as he was asking me the question, I was thinking about the legal rights. I was actually thinking about the Bill of Rights. He actually asked me the question in that kind of context and then said human rights and I repeated that back to him. And I made a mistake. How Paula made the mistake is that all of a sudden, after the failed John Key nine-year-old policy oh, on dealing God. to pee, dealing to pee, how come homelessness is up, housing costs are up, uh, and all the other things up? The only thing that's down is the price of pee. Like the you... great saviour Shane Jones will so, come in. So, so Paula, you're not the in the beehive. You're on the beehive. <laughs> great. <laughs> So the uh, you know we're going to go back to talking about gangs. Um, Please ask me a question. They are, you know, we've basically had a lot of um, corridor for the last year or so um, that draws really distinct lines between the gangs in this country and young people that suffered abuse in like state-run yeah, exactly. facilities. State abuse. Um, so, you know, that has put them on the track of, of violence and of uh, criminal offending and into prisons. Um, those gangs are an obvious replacement yeah. for communities that these children have been displaced from, iwi that they've been displaced from. So, do you accept that some of these gang members are also victims? 
Oh, fully accept that some of them have been victims in the past, um, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I see some of the women of gang members that are being um, actually gang raped and having some of the most horrific crimes I've ever seen against any of them, actually. So as Minister of Police, I actually witness via police some of the most horrific stuff going on in our communities, and I'm sorry it is gang-related. And so if that means taking away um, some of those legal rights, if it means getting in their faces, if it means disrupting the drugs that they are actually partaking to our kids and our schools. I see it in West Auckland. You know, I have the headhunters say to me, oh, you know, like we're around doing, well, bloody get drugs out of Henderson High School if you actually want to make a difference in this society. You're also just tarring absolutely everyone with the same brush, though, because you've got a number of people within no, the not. gangs that are working really hard mm. to yeah, get rid of their community, get drug out of their communities. You've got Dennis and Liz Makaleo down in Porirua. You've got Edge to Fight who has been working really hard to get violence. I don't violence. disregard that. There is a few and we will help them with rehabilitation, part of that community-led stuff around the uh, meth in particular that I'm really interested, the people, So there is room staff to work and, with oh, Look, that is, if they want that rehabilitation and that assistance there, we're in. But I am There's not going to get others that stand up and say, they want to get rid of P in their families but are still pushing it actually and being drug dealers on the side. So, and that is happening as well. I've got to read a question. Uh, sorry, isn't this an argument to actually legalise cannabis? Because when I was in that Waitangarua community and I put that in front of the gang families and the women, it was mainly, and they, they cheered for that. And I, I'd expect that at a university, right? Yeah. And I wouldn't expect it there. And the reason was, do you understand why we actually take drugs, why we actually abuse alcohol? And the answer was to escape the pure misery of our bloody lives for just one day. That's why we do it. Now, the problem is this. The criminal underworld controls the supply chain. So what the story was in Waitangarua when I was there is you could not get cannabis. You had to have pee or nothing. It's a story so over you, the entire nation. That is how it's working. So you have to, you know, get the gangs out of the system. Take their profits, not their human rights, Paula. Um, I'm going to finish up with um, a reader question. Um, this comes from um, Fiona Clark, who posed this question on Facebook. Um, she wants to know who will return the right to vote to prisoners. We will. Can I see a show of hands? That's a human right, yeah. surely. We will repeal that legislation and return um, it to David, prisoners. can you tell me why not? Oh, look, you, you lose a bundle of rights when you go to prison. Uh, I lived in Canada for five years. I couldn't vote. Uh, I had all the other rights that mattered. So, look, you can argue it either way, but I actually just don't <laughs> think that it is a human rights issue on the scale that people make it out to be. Uh, you know, not about a, a human rights, sorry, Calvin, but not about a human rights issue. But how about the fact that these people, when they're coming out of prison and coming back into our society, need to feel like they're part of the society and not sitting on the fringes giving the finger to the man? And if they can't even vote to make a change in our government, then why would they come back into our society and want to be part of it if they make no choices about who gets to run it? Right. thank you all for that. I'm going to pass us over back to Simon. So we are moving towards the end, but we're going to talk about housing. In 2015, the government committed us at the UN to the rights of everyone to live in a warm, dry home. I'm assuming that everybody agrees that that's a good thing. Okay. We currently have 41,000 homeless in this country. Last winter, Tapuia Marae brought it to the attention of everybody how 
the private sector could help but was grossly under-resourced. And this winter, of course, an awful lot more money and resources has been put into helping the homeless. $4 million a month over winter. 30 times more families have needed emergency housing than was expected. I want to know which of you, which party, will commit to a timetable to eliminate homelessness, to put every child into a warm, dry home. Three hands are gone up. That's four hands. Depends. Uh, well, there's chronic well. homelessness and there's okay. other. So I'm, I'm just being careful. And I'm going to say that, that I'm going to be really clear about this. The target, every child living in a warm, dry home, who believes that can be done on a timetable? The Māori Party, the Labour Party, the Green Party. Is it three years? Oh, 20, um, is it 23 years? 23 years. So, um, in Kaitaia, Komatua, up there, in our homelessness inquiry that Labour Greens and Māori Party led, said that this should be the last generation of children to face homelessness in this okay. country. I agree. So, Kelvin, did I hear you right? 23 years? 2040? No, 2023. 2023. Thank so, you. So, our policy to uh, Kiwi Build policy to build 100,000 affordable homes, we're going to stop the sale of state houses, we're going to build uh, 1,000 houses a year. You know, it's a, it's a massive problem, uh, and yes. we're going to uh, ban foreign speculators, we're going to uh, close tax okay. loopholes for speculation, and we're just going to build... So, build, by, so build assuming you were to form the next government and then hold government after the next election, you would be, at the end of the six-year term, we would not have children living anywhere except in warm, dry homes. You, that is a target we that can hold you to. That is the that we have Thank set ourselves. Um, yeah, you know what? There is a couple of things we could do right now that would completely change the face of homelessness in this country. One that the government has picked up on, and that is the uh, housing first policy. Because who didn't want a Dennis will tell you that he can get people the, the most time they spend at the, the marae is about a week to a week and a half. Finding the home was not the difficult thing making sure that they dealt with the underlying issues of why they were homeless in the first place was what they needed to continue to give those families support with so they didn't become homeless again. So the Housing First policy says take the person, put them into a rental accommodation, pay for it, support them with a uh, social worker and or a whānau order navigator to deal with the issues of why they're homeless and help them get established on their feet. That will cost this country less immediately. One other thing you can do that will stop the, the situation we have, treat people with dignity and respect. Because they sat, these families sat in a hotel for three months, battling with winds in housing New Zealand. They come to Tupuia for one week. They're treated with respect and they're immediately in a house and they're being supported in that home to get up on their feet and stay there. I think, Simon, words are cheap. Thank you. Words are cheap. If this problem was that simple, it would have been solved already. Takes willing. No, no, I'm going right back to Helen no, Clark's not, time when we were around as well. So no. words are cheap. There's three things that, unless they're dealt to robustly, these people will not meet their target. Red tape by the Resource Management Act has ensnarled developers, has, has ensnarled prospective homeowners, and has driven them out of the market. Secondly, the cost of land, the state should be purchasing the land, the state then should be building houses and enabling people over a 25-year period to become the owners of the land. Take the cost of the land out of the equation, it's you could right. start building like that. But that's not going to happen with the current ideology. Infrastructure. Thank you. We've got a waiting list, in fact. Oh, you know? <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. Martin Davidson. Well, it's just, 
Nowhere in the world has the market addressed any housing crisis anywhere. So we've got them, and I know the oh. political parties up here. We'll have to talk about so geography shush, later. shush, David. I know <laughs> that some parties don't want to address the, mar the failing market at all. We have to. We have to address speculation both by local developers as well as offshore non-resident. And um, we have to ban their ability to purchase here as well. We have to have a strong state housing program. The Greens are proud of our rent to own plan as well so that low income families don't have to save up a massive deposit. We have to make, it's a political will. It is political will. There is enough here. There has been always, but we are making the wrong decisions and instead houses are being used as a business instead of as a home. Paula, I want to ask a question. You I can just get, want to clarify no, no, something first because right. I bet that bloody Facebook's going mad on that, you know, my, my, my leader was ready to, uh, to give a timeline for homelessness and I'm not. That is chronic homelessness that he's talking about. That's um, housing first, and I completely think we can do that. I'm with Manama. It is getting into the underlying issues, and when we get some of those chronic homeless into houses, they can't stay there and sustain it. So we're actually in injecting more into that, and that's what he's talking about. Well, I'm just saying that you can't actually okay. wish this away. It's going to take policy. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take the houses right. that we've got being built. Calvin. The construction sector has flatlined in its productivity. There has been no change in the way we build houses fundamentally in the last in the way we build houses in the way we build houses in the last 50 years. In Auckland alone, we need 14,000 new homes built every year for the next 30 years. We are building half that number, and most of what we are building right now are large four and five bedroom homes yeah. instead of the yeah. smaller units look, look, required he's given his as affordable houses. How are we? <laughs> how, my question yeah. is to Calvin, please. How are we going to? Oh, thank share, you. share the love around of it, Simon. How are we going to double the number of houses built? Are we going to double productivity or double the number of construction workers? And of course, I'm asking you about immigration. Oh, well, we've said that uh, in terms of immigration, we're going to uh, reduce it by about 20 to 30,000. But we want more skilled immigrants. That's the that's the big thing, and we've got uh, more, our Kiwi visa. Paihua, Paul. We've got our Kiwi visa where uh, uh, we'll have 1,500 uh, skilled immigrants as long as um, the employer takes on an apprentice as well. Um, so, look, there's, there's other ways as well to uh, speed up the growth, and I take Shane's point. We need to um, move the urban growth boundary and free up um, density restrictions so that we can build... Uh, upwards as well as outwards. There's many, many levers that a government can and should pull, um, but like I say, we've been drifting for the last nine years. The biggest risk is that the next three years will be just the same as the, the last true. nine years. We're on track, actually, at 14,000. So we're 10,000 building consents at the moment. It is growing by the day. We've got Crown Land we're building on. Hobsonville Point is in my electorate. It is just going absolutely great guns. You can see it everywhere. Those houses are on track. You can see that prices have started flattening and even ah, going there. That's, that's because true. supply is getting up, but that's because supply is actually increasing. Right. And that's what is happening. So we're building actual houses, and it's not just all talk. Yeah, we're affordable houses. Meanwhile, the harm from homelessness and facing housing inadequacy has already been done. Thank you. David Seymour, please. Look, I mean, this is a crisis, and it's a great shame that we're building half as many homes as baby boomers did in the 70s. That's why we have a problem. And if you can identify the problem, then you can solve it. 
First of all, I mean, Shane's right. The Resource Management Act is a dog, and it has meant that we have now 60% of the price of a new home is land. We've got to change that. We have enough land zoned for lifestyle blocks in Auckland for 1.8 million homes. Do we need to build that many? Of course That's we don't, uh, but we could. Second of all, we've underinvested in infrastructure for far That's too long. Right. We That's need right. to share the GST on infrastructure with the local council that issues the consent. And if you've ever seen a council being reticent about issuing a resource consent, wait till they know they're getting 7.5% of the construction costs so that they can actually build the infrastructure. We need to accept councils are hopeless at doing quality assurance on building. We need to replace that with a Queensland-style uh, regime of mandatory private insurance. But those are the sorts of fundamental shifts to the housing market that neither of the large parties have made for the last 18 years. The chickens are coming home to roost and the next parliament is going to have to deal with this decisively. An Urban Development Act in cities instead of a Resource Management Act. Thank you. Change up the funding of infrastructure and replace the building quality assurance with mandatory private insurance like they have in Queensland. Thank you. I want Thank to you. just ask... Thank you. I want to just ask briefly about rental properties. Could you raise your hand if you own a rental property? Own or live in own one? Own a rental property. Live in one. <laughs> Keep your hands up if you own more than one. <laughs> Gareth, you don't own but rental you're properties? A no. Two of you? Uh, do you think it's reasonable for people to ask that you recuse yourself from voting on tax, rental warrants of fitness, or anything else that materially impacts on your own wealth in Parliament? Uh, well, I bought it when I was um, single and living in the city, and then it's been a leaky home, so I can't sell it. It doesn't have a code of compliance. So that's Shane? Actually, yeah, but I'm just saying that's why I've got the home. And no, I don't. Then I shouldn't actually do anything if no. I'm paying yeah. taxes or if you know. There's a. Yeah. I certainly um, you I should be have to, to declare vote it. On affairs, I'm yeah, yeah, and I'm a woman, right, and yeah, I shouldn't yeah. be involved Conflict in women's affairs. I shouldn't be. I mean, there's a degree. I should my be last, up front and transparent. Yeah. My last question, Shane. No, uh, my response is the question is a lowbrow question, and I expected better, better from you. Whoa, OK. Actually, Let me... Simon, it's, it's, it's a fair question. It's because our parliament, our House of Representatives... No, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not, agreeing, I'm not agreeing that they recuse themselves. I'm not agreeing with that. I'm saying it? it's a fair question because the House of Representatives is supposed to represent New Zealanders. And if we are not connected to the lives of people renting our property, which in the large we aren't, then we do have to figure out how can we make sure that we are seeing things from the perspective of people who rent a home. All right. Well, a, a, a show of, Winston uh, Peters be uh, allowed to you. vote on superannuation. Thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> a show of hands. A show of hands, please. Who, well, Brody who will have a vote. Who like believes... Myself. Oh, that old chestnut. Who, hey, which, of you, which of you will... <laughs> which of you will commit to introducing a warrant of fitness for rental homes. Mandatory. Mandatory. The Green Party, the Labour Party, the Māori Party. We've made some changes towards that. You've made some changes. We did the warrant of fitness trial on rental accommodation based on the state houses at the time, and the government picked up that and made some minimum standards. We didn't think it went far enough, but we also don't want something so arbitrary that it would be difficult for rental properties and landowners and property owners to carry out. And we've got right. the Healthy Homes Bill that will make sure homes are ventilated, heated, um, proper drainage, all that sort of and stuff. Right. Simon, I, I'd a... oppose it because I suspect the place I live wouldn't pass and I don't want to be kicked out if it fails. 
Uh, the fact of the matter is we've got to actually build more homes. There's no point just setting a standard if we don't have the supply of housing to meet those standards. And right now we don't because we've got too much so red tape and regulation, not enough infrastructure and not enough building so, going on as a result. David, you don't accept that the purpose of setting standards is to ensure that people don't fall below them? But yeah, the problem is now. that you set the standard. If you've got no way of meeting it, then you're either just going to kick people out of their homes uh, or the standard's been set too low. So Some of the why homes have a standard when you could actually be fixing garages, the problem by sheds, changing the way we regulate the housing market? Yeah, so you're going to close them down and put them on the street? House prices in this country have risen over the last 30 years from being three times the average income to 10. When I look at the ratio of houses here to population, it's quite high. Supply is not the issue. Demand is the issue. And why is the demand so high? Because the demand for, um, for housing is not driven solely by the demand for accommodation. That's it's right. driven by the demand for investment return. And the reason for that is that it's a tax loophole. My average tax rate is 10%. It is impossible for people on wages to get a tax rate of 10%. Of 10%. Theirs is 24 to 30. The reason is because I own assets where the income is not taxed. They are houses, and I own shitloads of them. And you people have caused this problem, for God's sake. Close the loop. Sounds the, like your uh, problem. Close the tax loop. Thank you, Gareth. On that point, I'm handing back to Toby. We're very nearly there. We've got a couple more, couple more minutes to go. So just to wrap up quickly, in reverse order to the way we did before, running down the line, what we'd like to hear from you is the one thing, if you are elected to Parliament and are either in government or supporting the government in some form, what is the one measurable thing in the first 100 days that we can look back after 100 days and say that you have succeeded or failed? What is the one thing that you would have achieved within those first 100 days that will be that measure of success? Okay. David Seymour then... Oh, look, the ACT Party would negotiate to pay good teachers more and give principals the freedom uh, to pay the best ones a lot more. We've underpaid them for a long time under the union model. Okay. They've lost about 30% okay, of their income Gareth, relative we've got to, to the We've average. got to, wrap up. We've we've got got to wrap up. fix that for the future of our children. OK, so what I would do is give a 30% tax cut to salary and wage earners, and I would... 30, 3, 0, and I'd fund that by taxing all income to wealth the same as other forms of income are taxed. That would make 80% of New Zealanders better off. That was the result of the first tax working group, the second, Kelvin. We do not need a third. We know Just what to briefly, do. Get the go will you, will you sit on that working group? I just wanted to ask you, Gareth, very, very quickly, Gareth, um, are you available to sit on Labour's tax working group? Yes or no? Oh, I'm bored. I've done two. Yeah, I'm not okay. interested in the bloody thing. I Shane, want Shane Jones, the one measurable thing. First 100 days. What? Oh, you finished? No, no, you. Yeah. I yeah. oh, see a substantial improvement in the amount of capital going in to rebuild the region's infrastructure. You'll see a reduction in the tax rate for exporters and a reduction in the company tax rate and an establishment of um, a industrial precinct at Marsden Point. Thank you very much. Marilyn Fox. I would negotiate with either of these two major parties to ensure that they carry out a Royal Commission of Inquiry into the institutional response of abuse of children in state care. Thank you, Marilyn Fox. <laughs> Governor Davis. Just to spite Gareth, we'll set up the tax working group to make sure that we've got a better, fairer uh, tax system. <laughs> Thank you. Marilyn Davidson. <laughs> 
make sure that our mending the safety net policy gets up and running, which is increasing core benefits by 20%, including student allowances, removing the damaging sanctions in work and income policy, and setting an actual target and making it binding on climate action and climate emission reductions. Thank you, Madam Deputy. Lucky last Paula better. Um, well, we've got our education policy that we need to implement, so we've got all of that um, building that's going on there, the second language stuff. We've got the um, benefit stuff that we just announced today, so with those youth in particular. Um, we want to make changes under the young serious offenders. We've got the gang and meth stuff that we desperately want to do, so that meth Should stuff is coming in there, so the as far as we're going to be doing that. So we have a whole lot of work Thank that we've got to do. Thank you, Paula Thank you very much. I can feel the inexorable... Gong ripping towards us. That's us. Thanks again to Facebook. Thanks to Generator Grid AKL. Thanks to the spin-off team that put this together, especially to Ash and Kerri-Anne. Thank you to Leone. Thank you to Simon. Thanks to the magnificent seven candidates tonight. Uh, and thanks especially to you for watching on Facebook. Democracy is the winner. Good night. <laughs>